Hello everyone. Welcome to the Maitri podcast between friends conversations with Maitri. This is your host Nandini Ray and today I have Rachna Khare. Rachna is the executive director of Daya, a Houston-based non-profit that serves South Asian survivors of domestic and sexual violence through culturally specific services and educate the community to end the cycle of abuse. Rachna is a founding member of South Asian Youth of Houston Unite and serves on committees for the Houston Immigration Legal Services Collaborative and the Harris County Domestic Violence Coordinating Council. Rachna serves on the board for the Texas Association Against uh, Sexual Assault and she is a founding member of SOAR, the South Asian Survivors and Organizations in Alliance and rising. Ratna, I'm so happy to have you here today on our show. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. We love the podcast and we love what you all are doing to build awareness. Ratna, um, uh, before we start our conversation, would you please introduce Daya to, uh, to the Bay Area audience? Sure, sure. So Daya, as you mentioned, is Houston-based, but I imagine like you all, we we see and serve clients from, from all over, including internationally. Our mission is to provide culturally specific services that can help survivors of all backgrounds, all genders, all income levels, reclaim their safety and their independence. Um, our organization started 25 years ago, 1996, so almost 26 years ago, when a group of uh, Indian American women in our community uh, were, uh, you know, they they knew that they wanted to do something to help women specifically help integrate into the community. And they wanted to support women who are South Asian. And there was a tragic murder suicide in our, in our community right around that time. And that showed them that this was the need, that there were South Asian women out there who needed um, support. And that is how Daya began. Uh, today, you know, it started as all volunteer run. Today, we have a staff of 13, including counselors and advocates, and uh, we're here for survivors of all of, of all backgrounds. Mm. Thank you so much for the introduction. I personally uh, a great fan of Daya because we work, Maitri work closely with Daya and uh, the work you do is really commendable. And I actively follow your social media pages and I, I love the activism and the community engagement work you publish in there. Um, and your survivor run uh, blog that is Healing to Peace is a great initiative. So thank you for doing this great thank work. You. No, we, yeah, we, we, we really try to incorporate survivors' voices wherever we can safely and to uplift, you know, what that, what the reality is. Survivors, you know, we, any one of us can experience domestic abuse and it's important yes. that the community yeah. know that. Yeah, and that's a, so much misconception in, in the community. We see that many people think that, oh, domestic violence can happen to a uh, you know, poor class or uneducated class or, or a specific culture and community. But uh, people should understand, we all must acknowledge that domestic violence can happen to anyone and it is not victim's fault. Right. So yeah, and the survivor uh, blog uh, is great. Yeah, and I think too, you know, recognizing that it's not, you know, it does, it's not always just physical violence. 
and yeah. the, the impact of the psychological abuse, the financial abuse in our community, as you know, the immigration abuse um, and just how damaging it can be and, 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 um, and how that cycle really needs to stop for our entire community to be safer and stronger. Of course. And, and speaking of survivors, about a month ago, I listened to a client's testimony, um, Daya's client's testimony, and she was uh, sharing her ordeal as a trafficked victim. And in her account, she was uh, thanking Daya advocates profusely for holding her hand and supporting her at the darkest time of her life. Um, but when I was listening to that story, I I not only felt happy for that survivor, but I also felt, you know, it's it's our it's our victory. It's our, you know, it's all advocates' victory. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, but because when I hear, you know, someone is out of danger, rebuilding his or her life, um, I feel that it is it's you know it's our collective work, and uh, because we are a team, and together we can end violence against women, uh, domestic violence, um, human trafficking, sexual assault, and and together we can build an inclusive and respectful society. So, um, you know, thank you so much, Ratna, for sharing that client's testimony with us. Yeah, and I, you know, I think it's very difficult for survivors to tell their story, like you mentioned. So much victim blaming in, not just in our community, but in America overall, yeah. there's so much victim blaming. And so each time a survivor tells their story, I'm always so inspired because to me, I, I find that it makes this experience much more relatable. And then people can see that, oh, this is how it happens. You know, this, this is how um, the manipulation and the power and control slowly get taken away. Um, so I'm always incredibly grateful for survivors who, who share their story, even now, even after doing this work, each time I find myself learning something new when I talk to survivors. Yeah, and women are suffering in all cultures, all communities, and victim blaming we see in all culture, all communities, you know, every culture, uh, we see that domestic violence is happening, violence against women is happening, and, you know, victim blaming is also uh, very much present. Uh, so to give an idea to our audience that what uh, we are talking about, um, uh, I would like to play a short clip from that interview that you shared with uh, us and with your permission. So can I uh, share a clip from yes. uh, that interview? Absolutely, we would be honored. Okay. I came, I left my family. I have, you know, like three more siblings. And then I have my both parents living and still living till today. So um, to me, I, when I found myself or when you found yourself in a strange country, you're supposed to communicate with your family. So for me, when I knew that, you know, I was losing control is when I wasn't allowed to speak to my family anymore. Wow. So I knew something, you know, was up. And then I have a child because I left a child, eight years old child that I um, left, you know, just to serve this man because, you know, to be a humble servant, because when you work with someone, you're giving your service. So you're serving. So. I left my family, my child, you know, and then here I am. I can't even talk to her. I was told not to call them anymore. At okay. first it was okay. I can call them every two weeks. 
And, you know, after that, it was like, okay, you don't call anymore. I don't know nobody. I don't know anybody. I don't have cell phone. Mm -hmm. Who was I even going to call? So that was when I knew that, okay. At that point, I was confused because I didn't know what to do. All I do is cry every day mm. because how can a mother left her child and you can't even talk to the child? Mm. And now my parents don't even know how I'm doing. So my cell phone that I had over there, I thought it's going to work in the U.S. I didn't know anything. So when I came, it wasn't working. So when I make a call, they say my dad had a crash, a car crash. So, because I had a bad dream and then that was when I called. So when I called, they told me my dad had an accident. So I cried, I was crying all day in that house. Then I had already cooked and everything. And then these people say, what happened? Why are you crying? I said, my dad had accident. Everyone just walked out on me. Nobody could say, how is he feeling? Nobody said, what happened? That just zipped my mouth for humans to treat human like that oh my goodness i'm tearing out right now daya i was at the shelter that part too from um ymca i went to the shelter i stayed in the shelter for almost six months the shelter i was they don't ever let anybody stay there for for three months but i was you know blessed and loved by the people at the shelter to have, you know, stayed there for almost six months until God blesses me and I was on my feet and then I got the place. And I I have a friend we met at the shelter, a very good friend, like we became sisters. And we cried together, we laughed together. I have no idea how she came across with um, Daya. I couldn't ask her till this day. And one day she said, let's go here. I said, I'm not going anywhere because I don't talk to anybody but her. She said, let's go somewhere. I want to take you somewhere. I said, I'm not going anywhere. Where I came from, I don't believe in counseling at all. I had, even me, myself, I sat myself down. I said, I'm never going to open up to anybody about myself, my life or anything I'm going through. Because I went through a lot. People disappoint me all my life. People, when I put my, I believe in God, but there's a way you know that, okay, this person is going to help me. And then they end up disappointing me. So I told her, I said, you see me, I don't believe in anybody helping me. I only believe in God. But then how is God going to help you without sending someone your way? <clears throat> and then one morning, no, one afternoon, it was afternoon, I'd never forget. And then she took me. She, it took a long time for her to convince me to follow her. And I then she said, the place is called Daya. Uh -huh. And then I was like, Daya, okay. I don't know anything, but trust me. I don't want to go disgrace you there, but I'm not going to say a word there. Yes. She <laughs> said, let's just go. Okay. She said, okay. She, she do counseling with them. And then she don't want to tell me how much they've helped her. Because that is never going to convince me anyway. So let's just go. So inspiring to watch you uh, rebuild your life with all that, even those, those experiences that were hard and bad. You've used right. that. You've used those to just get stronger and, um, right. and just heal. And so it's lovely to see. 
Yes, and thank you so much. I want to use this opportunity to say thank you so much to Daya. And honestly speaking, whatever you, Daya, is doing, I pray that, you know, God will continue to bless and bless and bless. Oh, it's such so powerful story. And I really love that part when uh, the survivor is saying that she knows that she has Daya's support, Daya's advocates are with her and she can share her worry, her concern, her, you know, her fear, everything with them. And with Daya's support, she's rebuilding her life. And it's so wonderful to hear that, that part. Yes, um, it warmed my heart as well, you know, because as, as the executive director, you sometimes you, you don't get to do the one-on-one -on -one work with clients as much. So whenever I heard that story, I was, I, you know, I'm always every day incredibly uh, proud to lead such a phenomenal team of advocates and counselors. Yeah, and I want to give a big shout out to all the advocates and to all the survivors who have shown resilience. Yes. Yeah. So Rachna, at Maitri and Daya, we have seen that uh, when we see the cases of like domestic violence, partner violence, human trafficking, sexual assault, uh, mostly women are victims. Mm -hmm. And it is not that like our organizational statistics, it's not like Daya statistics or Maitri statistics. If we see local or national or even global statistics, this right. is the case. So why do you think that mostly women are victims? You know, I think there's this ancient patriarchy across the globe, right? Where, um, again, as we've mentioned, every culture across generations and generations have been taught um, the patriarchy and have been taught that men need to be in charge and um, strong and, uh, you know, there's more violence associated with, with being a man and, and being masculine. And I think actually the patriarchy is not only the reason why we see so many women as victims, but also why even when men are victims, they are probably so afraid to come forward hmm. because they are told time and time again, if you're a man, you shouldn't show emotions. You can't cry. You can't, you know, you can't uh, be sad. You can't yeah. be scared. And, and you can so, seek, you cannot seek help. Exactly, you. exactly. And so the patriarchy, it keeps, uh, it creates an environment where women are more likely to be abused and that male victims can't get any support. If you're telling men, I mean, if you're telling men and women that men should be strong and not show emotion, then, you know, where is the room for love? Where is the room for compassion and healthy relationships? So I really believe that these, these generations of patriarchy is what is keeping all of us quite unsafe and, and preventing us from having what could be really beautiful, loving, healthy relationships. Yeah. And gender inequality and gender abuse are so deeply connected. Mm -hmm. uh, right, the earning power of women, um, and we we know in this work that most of the time people have to stay in abusive relationships because they need a roof over their head, because they need food on the table, um, and with pay inequity, it takes women so much more 
work to be able to make that same income, especially in families where they're discouraged from working in the first place. You know, I think mm, all and, of that relates back to, to the patriarchy. Yeah. And community ostracism for women that if you, uh, you know, if you're breaking your home, no matter what, it's, if it is, even if it is abusive, yes. um, then it's your fault because- uh, I know, because the home is the woman's responsibility. Responsibility. Right. Uh, you know, and that's the thing that I like to, you know, I wish I could kind of shake, shake our community and say, no, this, this abuse is what has created a broken family already. And so whenever I see women moving forward and rebuilding a life for them and their children that is safer, I say that is mending a broken family. That is not breaking a family. Um, and so I hope that, that people see that, uh, you know, children are incredibly impacted by witnessing abuse, right? They're mm. more likely to become abusers or become victims. And that's the cycle we want to stop. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, community members, even us, probably we don't sometimes recognize that uh, this is abuse because sometimes it so, gets so normalized, like verbal Total. abuse uh, gets Total. so normalized, yeah. uh, economic, uh, financial abuse that Many times uh, people may not understand that what is going on, it's abuse, not normal. And so, that's the thing, right? Like our, no. you know, it, this normalization of, well, every couple of fights, that's true, but there should be respect and equality, even in your disagreements, you know? And I, I think sometimes we, what we see in the media, what we see in our own families growing up, teaches us that, okay, you know, verbal abuse, psychological abuse, financial abuse, even physical abuse is a normal part of a relationship when, when it really shouldn't be and it doesn't have to be. Mm. And yeah, we have to work. We have to do a lot of work in that area. Yes. And yeah. Um, yeah. Well, this and podcast is helping, right? Raise what? So I'm so appreciative for what you all are doing, getting the word out that it doesn't, we don't have to see it as normal, you know, that abuse is, is not, uh, is not a part of a healthy relationship. Yeah, of course, of course. And we, you know, all of us, whatever we can do, we are doing. Yes. And, and we hope that more people will join us in raising awareness. Um, so before uh, I, we talk about community engagement, uh, we, let's talk about that. Um, what are the unique challenges uh, immigrant survivors face? Uh, like uh, in, in Daya, you have yeah. mostly yeah. immigrant survivors. So what do. kind That's of challenges uh, they face? So I think the first thing that comes to people's minds is language, right? Not, not um not knowing the language as well or not being as proficient in, in English because so many of, when you're dealing with these mainstream systems, you have to know the language. But it's not just the language proficiency for me, but it's also the vocabulary. You know, a lot of times in our, in the South Asian languages, there isn't the words for, there might be the words for hitting and yelling, but there may not be a word for like marital rape or sexual assault or, a psychological abuse even, right? So hmm. we, um, so, and it's so powerful for a survivor to be able to tell their story in their own language. And even if they have to use like coded language or idioms that, that they, you know, that, that are cultural to them, that our advocates at Daya at Maitri as well understand those things, that you don't have to explain your whole culture, that you're talking to people who understand it, who get it. 
But, you know, also, I think there's such a misunderstanding of mainstream systems, whether that's too much trust in mainstream systems, like we have many clients that think, oh, well, this is America and the legal system will ensure that the right thing happens. And that's not always the case. Um, but also fear in mainstream systems, afraid to call the police, afraid to uh, go to shelter. Um, and that's because there is a cultural mismatch, right, between mm -hmm. mainstream systems and um, immigrant survivors. They may not, you know, there's a lack of cultural competence um, by our mainstream partners as much as they are working and trying at improving that. It's going to take organizations like that, like my three to bridge that gap. Um, so that people have culturally sensitive care and that they can tell their story in their own language, that they're not afraid about their immigration status or lack of immigration status, that, you know, that they can talk about in-law abuse and that people validate that as a true kind of abuse, that people don't say to them, oh, well, it's not your husband hitting you. Mother-in-laws will be mother-in-laws. You know, no, we're talking about real uh, damaging abuse. And so um, I think those are the, the barriers that, that survive, immigrant survivors face is this cultural mismatch, the language access, and, and really the, the lack of knowledge or trust in mainstream systems. Mm, and, and immigration status can be a control mechanism that if you That's, report that abuse. Not true. Yeah. yeah, it's always, it's, it can be used as a tool of power and control for the abuser to say, well, I'm not going to do your immigration paperwork. And now you find yourself as a victim undocumented and your abuser tells you, go ahead and call the police. I'll have you deported. And this is a very real, real fear. And especially, you know, in a state like Texas, the fear is, you know, it's it's a it's a very rational fear. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. And then we are also seeing um, I. I am sure that you are also seeing it, that transnational abandonment is a huge issue uh, challenges. Um, survivors, immigrant survivors, especially South Asian, uh, we mostly primarily help South Asian survivors, and yes. we are seeing that. Absolutely, that you know, for, for it's a uh, when we talk to judges and attorneys about transnational abandonment, they think, oh, this must be a one-off thing for somebody to take their spouse to, uh, you know, to back to the home country and then um, through manipulation leave them there and then come back and file for divorce and claim abandonment and get full custody, they think, oh, this, this can't be that common, but it is that common. You know, yes, I know yes. we, we see it and, and uh, abusers use this tactic quite a bit to slow down the process, to, to make sure that it looks like the victim is actually the abuser who's abandoned the whole family um, and has, has left them when in fact they were the, the victim is the one who was left abandoned. So this is a, a really important topic that I believe the, the more we talk about it, the more that victims will also say, yeah, this happened to me. Yeah, and, and marital rape that you touched, uh, you know, many times people are, you know, from uh, women from our culture, they are so not sure that whether they can talk about this uh, yeah. with us, the private topic, private issue and Absolutely. they don't know where if they can talk about it if they can seek help and in our culture that uh, sex and sexuality is such a private matter we, we lack sex education right. so probably sometimes victims they don't know uh, whether it is abuse or normal you know? absolutely if we aren't talking to young people about consent about 
uh, the fact that sex should always be a choice, no matter what, no matter if it's your first time or your 500th time, you know, it's all each time is a decision that that you're making together. Um, and that sex should be, uh, you know, full of joy, full of um, mutual respect and love for each other. And, and it's not somebody's obligation, right, to of have course. sex. And so I think it is very difficult because when you get married, you hear mm-hmm. like, oh, your duties as a wife. And what does that, you know, and what does that entail? But that even when you're married, that you have the you have the absolute right and responsibility to consent every single time. Yeah. So the challenges you just explained um, are so real. And all agencies that work with immigrant uh, populations, uh, we see these challenges every day. And that's why it is very important for us to advocate for right policies uh, that can help immigrant survivors' needs. And it's similarly important to engage and educate community members so that they can join the movement to end uh, violence against women. You know, in educating the community, inspiring the community to get involved, that is the most important thing. Because if we don't show, we have to demonstrate that we that this is an issue in our community and that our community is committed to ending it, yeah. that we care. And so that is what's going to change the laws, right, is first we have to change minds and hearts and then we change and then the laws will will follow. But it does take that community support. So since we are talking about community, do you have any message for our community members? Yeah. So I am. First of all, I, I thank the community for listening to this podcast, for engaging with our organizations because that right there is the first step. That shows such a deep commitment that first of all, you're saying domestic violence is real, it exists in our community. And then secondly, you're saying, and it has to stop and we have to do something about it. So I think that anyone listening to this podcast has already taken two big steps to be in solidarity with survivors. And then I would say, what can you do next? You know, Can you talk to your children about what does a healthy relationship look like? Can Mm. you take steps in your day to make all your relationships a little healthier, a little stronger, you know? And can you call out healthy relationships when you see them? And then if you see somebody, if you know somebody, if you are somebody who's experiencing abuse, you know, if it's a friend or a family member, to pull them aside privately and, and, and confidentially and say, I'm here for you. I believe you, you don't deserve this. And here's where you can get some professional help. And I think, you know, and I'm sure at my three too, the number one way clients find out about our organizations is through community referrals. So mm. to our community, you are that cornerstone. You are the reason that people can get help. And it is all about making sure that you have private safe conversations with survivors and you say, hey, I'm noticing this. It's uncomfortable to talk about, but to say, you know, hey, I noticed this and I want to make sure you're okay. And if you need help, I'm happy to help you make these first phone calls to organizations that can help you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's always good to call any organization because uh, there's so many um, organizations that are helping survivors of uh, domestic violence and sexual assault. 
and they're free and confidential. Yes. So you just, you know, community members, they need to know about those organizations. That's and right. Programs. Don't try to take it all on your own. You know, I always tell community members, you don't have to solve uh, domestic violence. A lot of people say, well, it's a private matter. It's also a public health matter, you know, but that is what we're here for. We have the training, we have the expertise, we have the funding to be able to help survivors so that the community doesn't have to say, oh, let me get involved. Let me talk to your husband. Come live at my house. You know, we want to make sure everyone stays safe. And so it's Mm. important that the community knows that, uh, you know, you all in the community are such an important piece of this, but we're here to help you. And we're, you know, we're here with the expertise and with the with the resources to be able to um, make sure that we go about this in a safe way. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Rachna, for yeah. sharing uh, your wealth of knowledge, experience with us. And hopefully this discussion will motivate many of our listeners to support survivors, stop victim blaming, and hold perpetrators accountable. <laughs> so domestic violence, sexual, never this kind of abuse, never victims fault. Um, it is not. That's right. And, you know, I always say with holding abusers accountable, it's important that, again, when you see something happening, if you're in a place to be able to have a private conversation with somebody, do it, you know, reach. A, this is the best way to help survivors is to tell them this is not your fault. Hmm. And I also hope that your client's testimony that we shared here today uh, will encourage many victims to reach out to Daya or Maitri or any of their local um, agencies, organizations for support. Absolutely. There is light, you know, at the end of the tunnel, there's a way out and we are all here to help you rebuild and reclaim your safety and your your independence and and that um, you deserve it. You, any survivor out there, you deserve um, a, you deserve to be healed and you deserve a life that's free from abuse. Exactly. So thank you, Rachna. Thank you. It was great to, great to be here. Listeners, um, I'm your host, Nandini Ray, signing off today, but I will be back soon with another interesting episode. Please keep listening to the Maitri podcast between friends, uh, conversations with Maitri and find all of our episodes on SoundCloud and wherever you find your podcast. We discuss important issues to end gender-based violence, domestic violence, intimate partner violence, sexual assault. And we want all of you to listen to our podcast. Please be with us. Please like and uh, you know share our podcast with your friends and families. So together we can make a society where all relationships are built on dignity, equity, and compassion. Please visit maitri.org, M-A-I-T-R-I, to learn about our free and confidential services. Please visit Daya's website and uh, please follow our social media pages, Maitri Beria social media pages. uh, On on those pages, we uh, publish everything uh, uh, about organization, about our organization's uh, work and uh, about interesting articles. So please follow us. Uh, So bye for now. Stay safe and stay happy. Thank you so much for listening. This project was made possible by funding provided by Santa Clara County Office of Gender-Based Violence Prevention.
This show is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice. Always consult an attorney for legal advice. Views expressed by guests of the radio show are individual opinions and not endorsed by Mydri.